Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask Ken to come on up. Ken's an international speaker. He speaks throughout the country, all over. He's been a part of the Vineyard Movement. He's... uh, Got his own ministry, Orbis Ministries, and uh, I know he's going to share a little bit about that uh, before he starts. So, Father, we just ask your blessing, your anointing upon your servant, Ken. We receive him, Father, as sent from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's see. We'll start with just a few announcements. Um, If we can put up the first slide. Uh, We have an app. It's called Orbis Ministries. Clever, don't you think? We're known as Orbis Ministries. Uh, You can get this app in the Apple Store, the Google Play Store. Uh, You can point your phone. Well, you can't now, but you could have a moment ago. Pointed your phone at the quick response code. Oh, I was looking at myself on that monitor. I'm disoriented. Um, I just came from Australia at the front end of the week, so I'm I'm upside down. You can point your phone at the quick response code and download from there if you like. Uh, We have a lot of free content there, uh, free teachings, podcasts, some of our conferences, et cetera, and we we add stuff all the time. So anyway, if you want to follow us there, you can do that. Next slide. We're launching a prayer network. Uh, We just have a growing body of people who want help from all over the world, and so we're going to be launching shortly after the first of the month, which is only a few days away. And uh, so you could live in New York, you could live in Sydney, you could live in Kathmandu, and you could get ministry uh, over Zoom. I personally think in-person ministry is more powerful and better, but sometimes you can't do that. So we're going to use Zoom, and we've seen a lot of breakthroughs over Zoom. Uh, OPMN.org will be the website that you want to go to to get more information, or you can send an email if you just want to request an appointment to info at orbisministries.org. All right, next slide. We are on all of those social media platforms, and you should know what all of those are because we all see those signs all the time. Um, our, our handle is Orbis Ministries CAUSA. It's a lot of letters, but that's because uh, Orbis Ministries was taken here and there. Orbis Ministries USA was taken here and there. We wanted to be one name everywhere that we are so that you wouldn't get confused, and you, then you couldn't find us on this one, but you could find us on that one. So Orbis Ministry CAUSA was taken nowhere, and it's convenient that I'm from California, thus the CA in CAUSA. All right, next, uh, we're just going to show you a short video about our school. Hi, I'm Ken Fish. I'm going to be your host in the class Prophesy with the Prophets 101. In this class, we're going to cover a variety of baseline issues, including scripture and the simple gift of prophecy. How do they interact with each other? Which one's more important, and how do we judge them? We're also going to cover the purpose and function of prophecy, the words of God and the words of men. We're going to talk about biblical guidelines of administration within the prophetic realm and how to receive revelation so that even if you've never received a word from God, by the end of the class, you should be starting to get these words from God for yourself. We'll also talk about how these things grow and develop moving from the simple gift of prophecy to a ministry of prophecy and ultimately into the office of prophet. You're going to love this class, so join me on the journey 
and learn how to prophesy with the prophets. All right, and that's that on that. It's an online school. We started it uh, as it worked out at the front end of COVID, but obviously who could have planned for that? And uh, we've added courses continuously, and we continue to do that. Uh, we not only offer the content, we have activation groups to get you up the curve and going. And our school has an annual offsite as well, so if you get involved, you might want to come to our offsite. Um, that's all the merch pitch I have, so without further ado. Last, uh, last hour, or last service, I talked about the meaning of the word gospel, and I talked about the invasion of God into our world. I want to uh, build on that, but slightly change direction. I like it you guys are going to have deliverance teaching coming up. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you a big, giant platform to launch from. I want to talk about how deliverance ministry hastens the return of Christ. Um, many today are looking forward to some great outpouring, some great revival. I'm not here to, to question that. I'm, I'm looking for that too. Uh, but sometimes we actually need to take a pause and remind ourselves that revival is not our goal. The real goal is the return of Jesus. Revival, hey, Ted, good to see you. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a while. Sorry, it couldn't, it just sort of came out of my mouth. <laughs> I haven't seen you since before COVID. Yeah, all right. Okay, back to this. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, revival is the intermediate step that gets us to the return of Christ. We got to have the great end time harvest before Jesus comes back. But sometimes I think we, we get so focused on revival, we forget that this is what we're looking for, is for Jesus to come back and get us and take us up and, you know, we get to be with him. So what you may not have thought about, and I used to think about this when I was a lot younger until I understood this clearly from the scriptures, Paul uses the language of us cooperating with God or collaborating with him to bring about the return of Christ. And I used to think, how in the world does that happen? I mean, it's a sovereign thing. The Father knows the day and the hour. No man knows, not even the Son nor the angels. How can we possibly help? Well, we're going to talk about that today. So in the first service, we talked about the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. But I now want to go deeper into the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be looking at um, a couple of chunks of Scripture, which we have to read because without it, you won't understand the context. And one of the things that I... I'm really committed to is that we read the scriptures authentically for what they really say. I don't just want to excerpt something and kind of use it as a scripture bomb. So in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So we've got this small flotilla of boats and they're moving from somewhere around Capernaum across to this region of the Gerizines or the Gadarenes, as, as it works out. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he said, yeah, I really don't care. Go ahead and drown. No, no, I'm just kidding about that part. Just checking to see if you're awake. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. I won't use a loud voice because this is a kind of a small room with a low ceiling. <laughs> what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And of course, if we put some real theatrical interpretation into it, it would be more like, what have we to do with you, Jesus? Son of the most high God. <laughs> For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Well, we could go on and read the whole account, but we have an encounter here with a man who's heavily demonized. By the way, I will make one more merch pitch. Next year, I'm taking a ministry team to Jordan, and this graveyard is in Jordan. I've been there before, and you can see where this happened if you join me in Jordan. You can find out more about all that at orbisministries.org. All right, end of the advert. Well, we have this story of... Uh, of this man getting delivered, and at the end of his being delivered, he wants to go with Jesus, but in verse 19, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Give a testimony and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, the Decapolis is a term that we read it, but we often don't think about what are we reading, and we may not even know how to research that. But the word deca in Greek means ten, and polis is the word for city in Greek. So this is the region of the ten cities, and this was a confederation of city-states, very similar to Sparta in ancient Greece. And this had been founded by Alexander the Great when he had conquered this area roughly 300 years earlier. So... These are 10 cities in confederation, one of which is this city of Gadara today in Jordan under an Arabic name. It's known as Jadash, but you can still hear a little bit of an echo of Gadara to Jadash as it migrated from Greek into Arabic. Well, Mark is recording a couple of events, um, and they're linked, but on the surface, they appear unrelated. So we have to look a little more closely. We have to dig a little deeper. The first event we just read, it's this man who comes to Jesus and ultimately finds deliverance. By the way, we'll circle back to this idea, but it appears that there is some sort of 
well, demonic resistance that doesn't even want Jesus to get to Gadara. It's trying to stop him on his journey across the lake. That's what the wind and the waves are all about. And in fact, we know this to be correct because it says he rebuked the wind and the waves. That particular word rebuke is only used in the New Testament to mean when we shut down a demon from manifesting, exercising its power, or otherwise bringing harm. So when he rebukes the wind and the waves, the disciples are looking at other going like, wow, he's got the wind and the waves under control, not bad. But what Jesus is really doing is he's confronting the demonic power, which in scripture, Paul lays out layers of demonic power over areas, over people. We don't teach on this a lot, but it's, it's in there. And this particular level of spirit, I think, is known as a dominion. If it's not a dominion, it's a throne, but I think it's a dominion. The difference, by the way, thrones are world spirits. They're universal. You can find them anywhere. Dominions are regional spirits, but by the way, those regions can be very, very large, like a whole continent, but not the whole world. So this one seems to be a dominion-level spirit, and where do you suppose it had dominion over? The Decapolis. And who do you think was the host of that evil spirit? None other than this guy who lived in the graveyard. That's what's going on here. All right, well, the other event that's of interest is found in Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I'm not going to comment on this too much other than to say in Mark 6, verse 30 to 44, this passage deals with Jesus multiplying bread and fish to feed 5,000 Jewish men, their women and children. So it's actually way more than 5,000, right? Because typically in a normal population where they're not practicing abortion and selective infanticide and things like that, um, you get about one male baby for every female baby. And I think the actual scientific ratio is 52 to 48. And I guess that's the wisdom of God because men tend to die uh, faster and sooner due to things like war and reckless behavior <laughs> that women do not typically engage in. Um, anyway, it's about half. So for every man, there would be a woman, and then you put men and women together, children come about, especially in an age with no birth control. So how many people were at that, at that feed that happened here in Mark chapter 6? Well, 10,000 adults roughly, and then, I don't know, 20,000 kids? I mean, who knows? But just depends on what you want to assume about family size. But this is a crowd. He's feeding Jewish people. It says that they are on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm just going to point that out without actually reading from it. But now we come to Mark chapter 8, and this we are going to read. In Mark chapter 8, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. 
And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat, and his disciples went with him to the region of Dalmanutha. Now, my version of the Bible that I just read, it says there were about 4,000 people, but actually the Greek says 4,000 men. This, this translation is trying to smooth out the difference between men and women because we often see men in the Bible. Women sometimes feel excluded with that language. And so a lot of modern translations are trying to be more inclusive so everybody gets to play. All right, but in this case, the difference matters. We've got 4,000 men, same math as before, 4,000 women, and then a bunch of kids that go with them. So this crowd is a little smaller, but it's still probably 20,000-ish if you count all the kids. Well, a lot of scholars get confused by these twin stories of Mark 6 and Mark 8, and depending on who you're reading of modern commentators, and this is really the unbelief and the uh, folly of the modern age writ large. They say that essentially, they don't quite say it this way, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but they essentially say Mark is a fool and an idiot, and he didn't realize that he told the same story twice in his gospel, and so he got his numbers confused, and this shows that the Bible is full of contradictions and is not trustworthy. There are people who actually write Bible commentaries that say this. That's not what's going on here. This is the same type of miracle done twice. The first time, Jesus did it with Jewish people. He did it on the western side of the lake. The second time, he did it with Gentile people, and he did it on the eastern side of the lake. The first time, they had 5,000 men. The second time, they had 4,000 men. The first time, they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. The second time, they have seven baskets full. The details matter, and the fact that they are different in these regards tells you that these are not the same miracle told twice, but it is the same type of miracle. If you pray for two blind people and they get healed, it's the same type of healing, but it's not the same healing. Does that make sense? All right, well, why do we care about all that? Here's why we care. When there were 12 baskets left over on the Jewish side, this is somehow a prophetic act that speaks of the abundance of God for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. When we talk about seven baskets full on the, on the eastern side of the lake among these Gentile people who live among the Decapolis, there were seven tribes that when Joshua had invaded the Holy Land who were displaced. And where do you think they went to? Exactly this area that became the Decapolis centuries later when Alexander the Great created the Decapolis. Who were those tribes? These names will sound familiar to you if you've ever read the Old Testament or had, any, uh, had anyone preach about it. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Perizzites. There you go. Seven tribes, seven baskets, same exact logic. What's God saying? Well, the table's open for everybody. That's what he's saying. Well, let's go back to the story. 4,000 men is a crowd. And if you add to them the women and children, like I said, this crowd, 15, 20,000, maybe more. I don't know how big the families were, but could have been above that. 
So here's an interesting question. Why would such a large gathering of Gentiles come out to listen to the Jewish Messiah? Why would they do that? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer that question. The answer lies in the story we just read of the Gadarene demoniac. Remember, I said there's two stories and they're linked. When Jesus had finished with the Gadarene demoniac, we even read the verses, he wanted to go away with Jesus. I went, Let me get in the boat with you. And Jesus is like, no, no, you stay here. Tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. So that guy goes out. He's known among all of the ten cities. He lives in one of them, but all these cities were in confederation. And so, although they didn't have cell phones and the internet, word got around. And everyone's like, what happened to that guy? Well, what happened to that guy is he got delivered of evil spirits. And as people are thinking about this guy who had been dangerous, violent, who could break chains, they're thinking, whatever that person is, whoever that person is, however that person is, whatever that is, we want to show up for that. And so all these people gather, gather together, and Jesus ends up having to feed them. Well, this man's testimony was so compelling that... I want, to be, I want to say this the right way. His testimony was so compelling that the power of testimony, as Bill Johnson says that, this is definitely in play. But it's also showing the power of spiritual warfare through deliverance. Because if the power of legion, which is the name of the dominion-level spirit that was living inside of this man, if that had not been broken, back to, what was his name, Lachlan? Where is he? Back there. What Lachlan was saying about we're going to pray over the campuses and you know over New York City because there's a resistance. If that thing hadn't been broken by Jesus on the lake before he stepped foot on shore and delivered the man in the graveyard, they wouldn't have been able to have the breakthrough of 4,000 men and their women and children coming out to see Jesus. Why? Because the whole thing was locked under a demonic bondage or cap or whatever you want to say, that thing had to get blown off so that as he gave the testimony, the power of the testimony, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, it would run free course. We need the gospel to run free course in New York City and in America. So deliverance is central to seeing that kind of breakthrough and intercession aids and assists that. It's kind of like the air cover for the ground war. That's kind of what's going on. Well, I've seen this kind of breakthrough um, in my journeys. I remember one time being in southern Mexico, and I ran into a regional spirit, a dominion-level spirit uh, named Ixtlan, which happened to be <clears throat> the name of a, of a breakaway uh, republic in the ancient Mayan kingdom from hundreds of years before. And when that thing got broken, there was a move of God that started happening among those Ixtlan people. These people were so violent that the Mayan empire avoided them. They basically gave them semi-autonomous status because they would do things to people they captured that were so gruesome, they just said, just leave them alone and go around. But because of breaking the power of that spirit that we found in a person who was descended from that tribe, boom, we had a move of God among those people. 
We had a similar thing happen one time in Costa Rica when a regional spirit named Poas got handled in similar fashion. This, by the way, because it was a regional spirit, set off a chain reaction of volcanoes that all the, went all the way down uh, the Central American um, isthmus, uh, all the way into northern South America. And, uh, but a great move of God followed in the aftermath of that. This business of what you do with all that is kind of its own teaching. We could get down a rabbit hole and never finish the sermon today. So I'll just leave that as something that we might explore at another time. But I'm trying to show you between Mark 5, Mark 6, and Mark 8, that when Jesus dealt with that spirit that attacked him on the lake, he did not attack it. That's a really important data point. Um, when it attacked him and he dealt with it, that allowed the breakthrough with the man who had the spirit named Legion, and that in turn allowed the breakthrough of mirroring the miracle that had happened among the Jews, now among the Gentiles, and we get this big move of God among Gentiles. Pretty interesting story, right? Well, why do you care? You care because you guys are trying to bring revival to New York City. That's why you care. Near the end of his life, uh, Jesus gave a lengthy teaching about the end times. I'm not here to teach you end time eschatology today, but I do want to take some key points out of that teaching. So turn backward with me to Matthew chapter 24. And in this thing known as the Olivet Discourse, it's known as that because it happened on the Mount of Olives. It says in Matthew 24, verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now note that this is a private conversation. So this wasn't told to the masses. So right now, you're getting inside information. Okay? We're on Wall Street down here. No insider trading allowed. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just trying to be culturally relevant. That's all. So Jesus says this, see to it that no one leads you astray. Why would he say that? Because you could be led astray, even as a believer, even as a disciple. So beware, be on your guard. Many will come in my name saying I am the Christ. All right, that'll be one of your indicators. And they will lead many astray. That's why you don't want to be led astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. Why would he say that? Well, because you might become alarmed. What does that mean? You might become scared. You might become rattled. You might lose your balance and fall into fear and anxiety and like, ah! <laughs> the Lord's still on the throne and prayer still changes things. For all of these things must take place. It is necessary for these things to happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. By the way, in the old King James, which no one reads anymore, well, there might be a few of you holdouts, but generally people don't read the King James anymore. It doesn't say various places. It says divers places. And divers is a word that means diverse, but it also means unusual places you wouldn't have expected. So when you hear of earthquakes happening where they shouldn't be happening, like in North Dakota or something, 
don't be alarmed by that either. Just know these are signs of the times and the bell is ringing so that we'll all pay attention. What's Jesus really saying? Well, there'll be a lot of false starts, and with that, there'll be false prophets and there'll be false Christs. If you're not careful, you could be misled or shaken or freaked out. He doesn't use that word. That's my Ken Fish <laughs> modern translation. But he says this is not the end, not yet. There will be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. I know Ukraine is a big deal. Well, it seems to be less in the news now, but it was a big deal, and I guess it's still a big deal for the Ukrainians. But that's not the end. And there'll be tribes that rise up against tribes, and there'll be kingdoms against kingdoms. And, you know, you could probably make the argument that some of the unrest we've seen in our country in the last couple of years is tribal in nature. Don't be alarmed by that. Just chill out. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. There will be famines and earthquakes in these diverse places. Well, you know, everyone now is starting to talk about global food shortages and famine. Don't get freaked out. You're going to be okay. That's what he's saying. Jesus said these are the beginnings of birth pangs. This isn't transition. This isn't crowning. This isn't the baby's out. This is just where it all starts. Why does that matter? Well, because if you've ever given birth or you're wife, I hope it's your wife, has ever given birth, better not be your girlfriend, <laughs> come up here right now, this is your girlfriend, um, if you've ever had that experience of either giving birth or being there for your wife to give birth, um, sometimes it goes a little slower than you want, sometimes it's a little more draining than you want, uh, sometimes uh-oh, we've got fetal distress, we need oxygen, we need Pitocin, we need whatever we're going to give, we need an epidural, and we've got all this stuff, but just hang on, we're going to get there. So keep that in mind. This is the beginning of the birth pangs, it's not the end of the, of the process. So Jesus is saying, there's going to be this, this whole thing you go through, and in the backstory of all of this that he's saying, is what happened up there by the Sea of Galilee. Dealing with a demonized man, feeding a bunch of Jews, feeding a bunch of uh, Gentiles who live in the region of the Decapolis. And then he goes on and he says, there'll be some other things that are going to happen. Uh, you, by the way, will be hated by everybody. Aren't you excited to hear that? <laughs> some of you will even be put to death. Oh boy, sign me up for that one. And he says there will be a great falling away. Now that's not to negate the idea of the great harvest, but I will say this, since the end of World War II, 75 years or so, it's actually closing in on 80 years now. Um, so about 80 years gone. In the last not quite a century, more than one billion people have departed from the faith of Christianity for good. Most of Europe, most of Australia and New Zealand, a substantial portion of the United States, we're still the most Christianized Western nation around, but, but we're way, way down from where we used to be. In 1970, 95% of the populace of America would be in church or synagogue on Sunday morning or Saturday if you were Jewish. 95%. The only ones who weren't were the hardcore non-believers and medical personnel, police and fire that were on duty. That was America. I kind of remember that America. Not too well, but 
I do kind of remember it. And this was, you, I mean, you couldn't even go shopping, not even in New York City. Everything was closed on Sunday in observance of the Lord's Day. This was real. This is not the America we live in today. Well, like I said, 95% of the country was in worship on the weekend days. Again, Saturday for the Jews, Sunday for Christians. Um, today, the national average of Christian belief and adherence, meaning they show up for church like you are doing right now, 25%. But in a place like New York City, it's like 1%. In a place like Los Angeles, where I live, it's 3%. So we're, we're way down there. So when Jesus says that there will be a great falling away, we're in it. Now what that should tell you is the hour is late. That's what it should tell you. I mean, you could get all in despair and, you know, people are falling away and there's a great apostasy. It's true. But the main thing is the hour is late. And so we should be excited in the midst of it all because we realize he will come back soon and we are going to participate in hastening his return. And I'm about to show you how that works. He also says there will be false prophets who arise. This is really referring to all kinds of cults and sects and twisting of the gospel. It's going on on a widespread basis all over the world. And I could kind of do a whole sermon on that. I'll just say it and keep moving. But, but just be aware that there are many strange variants of the gospel that are emerging. I will throw this one out only because it has become such an issue within the renewal. And you guys are a renewal stream church. <clears throat> this particular one is known as annihilationism. And annihilationism is the belief that if you die apart from Jesus, you actually will not go to hell. Instead, your body will rot and decay and become dust, and that's the end of you. End of story. And those who believe in Jesus, they'll go to heaven. But those who don't believe, they'll just turn into dust. End of story. That's not biblical revelation. That's wishful thinking. It, it fits the modern meme that everybody's good and deserves to go to heaven, but it's not actually biblical revelation. So that'd be an example of the kind of thing that we're talking about. With all these variant teachings, I could start throwing out some of the stuff that's out there, but that one, that one I just want to mention because it is so common. And the other thing that he said would happen in verse 12 is lawlessness would increase, and the result of lawlessness is that many people's love would grow cold. That means they lose their passion for the Lord. Well, hello. <laughs> Do we know people who started well and have fallen away and aren't really walking with the Lord anymore? Sure we do. And Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom, which we were talking about in the first service, that gospel, that gospel of power, that gospel of breakthrough, that gospel of God's invasion of the earth, that will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to every single tribe and tongue. That's really what the word nation means. Every ethno-linguistic group. Right now there's 6,207 of those on the earth. Some speak, you know, one of them would be Swahili speakers, right? One would be German speakers, etc. That'll go through the whole earth. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. People are working on it. And then the end will come. Then and only then the end will come. Now, pro to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom is not the same as to proclaim the gospel. They sound very similar, but here's the key distinction. To proclaim the gospel is to say something like, hey, Jesus died for your sins. If you repent of those sins and accept him, you can have eternal life. Come forward and be born again. 
you could change up the way you say that, but that's kind of the core of what the gospel is. All right, that's what we preach, right? Okay, good enough. But now there's this gospel of the kingdom, and that's the one that's accompanied by signs and wonders. That's the one that's accompanied by healing, deliverance, breakthrough. It's the one that looks like the ministry that Jesus had. So it's more than just believe and receive. It's actually the invasion has come near you, as I said in the first service, and you are now under the rule and reign of God. And by the way, you're being swept into this thing called the kingdom, and you become a participant in God's army. It's a gospel of power. It's a gospel of activism and dynamism. It's a gospel that is, well, dynamic and brings breakthrough. So Jesus is laying out the sequence of events, what to expect, what not to be worried about. It's just a distraction and what you should stay on theme with. This thing of the gospel to all nations, this is part of why what you're doing, Lachlan, is so important because God is bringing the nations to us because sometimes we can't go to them or we won't go to them. By the way, he didn't ask me to do this, and neither did these guys, uh, Bill or Tammy, but I'm going to just say, if you don't know what else to do to get engaged with the kingdom of heaven, why don't you go get involved with Lachlan and his ministry, and let's lead a bunch of students to the Lord. Because they're most ripe at 18 to 25, and you'd be a lot better off to spend an evening a week on Columbia's or NYU's or Pace's campus. Pick another one if you don't like those. Um <laughs> Being involved in an activist, kingdom-centric presentation of the gospel, you'd be a lot better off to do that than to stay at home and watch more Instagram TV. I'm just saying. Because this is what we're called to do. Now watch this. Jesus says, after the time of hardship, after the tribulation, I'm now dropping down to verses 29 through 31, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is the second coming of Christ. I titled this message, How Deliverance Ministry Hastens the Return of Christ. I didn't pause to point it out so you could have missed it, so I'm going to point it out in case you missed it. He told us how we hasten the return of Christ right there in those two verses. Here's what he said. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, the word there is dunamis tu oranion. I don't expect you to remember that. But it's Greek, and it means literally the powers, the spiritual powers, the dominions and thrones, and above them the stoicheia. These are all levels of evil spirits that Paul writes about in Galatians and Colossians. Again, it's its own, it's its own sermon, or two, or three. But anyway, um, it's, it's kind of given in the cosmology and worldview of the Bible. What he's saying is those, those spirits that are over regions or over the whole earth, they will be shaken. Now, the word in Greek means to be kicked over. And they kind of go, they, they take the hit, and all of a sudden, that's what happens. He said it right there. Let's read it together. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken or overthrown. And how are they overthrown? through the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel, 
the gospel of the kingdom. Like I said, it's a subtle distinction, but it's a really important one. Now, prior to Azusa Street, about 116 years ago, gospel of the kingdom, nobody even pretty much knew what that meant, and we didn't have all the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders and tongues and interpretation and healings and deliverance and all these other spiritual gifts. That's really been a thing only in roughly the last century and a bit. That is another way we know that the hour is late. I want you to be sitting up in your chairs kind of going, wow, wow, okay. I mean, this is, this is that time. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I know enough not to break my pick on that one because he said no one knows the hour, not even Ken Fish. <laughs> but he did say you can know the season because when a fig tree puts forth its leaves, you know the season of figs is near. So when all these things that we've just talked about are going on, you know that the season is near. And when this all begins to happen, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Well, how are the powers of the heavens <clears throat> going to be shaken? Let's go back to where we started in Mark 5, Mark 6, and Mark 8. Let's go back to those stories. Because what he had done is he had shown it to them before he ever explained it to them. He now he's explaining it to him. What did he do? Let's go over to the other side. All right, they're going across the other side. This dominion pops up, attacks him on the lake. He breaks the power of the dominion. Now he delivers the man with the spirit called Legion. That man is sent out to give his testimony. And that, because of that demonic cap or whatever, because that thing's broken, the word can run free course. The power of the gospel of the kingdom, which includes deliverance, and by the way, there was also some bunch of healings in that too. Because that's all going on, all of these Gentiles show up and they're like, we want to know that guy. Now here's the thing. Nobody ever comes to Christ for a good reason. It's not like, oh yes, we've heard that the name of the Lord will be glorified. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, we want to know that Lord. Yeah, that's what we want. What do they do? They're like, hey, we heard that you set that guy free. We got three of them in our family. So we're going to bring them all along, and would you please fix these people? The other thing that they do is they're like, hey, man, we've been here three days, and, like, there's no McDonald's, okay? So what are we going to do about that? And she's like, right, we're going to feed them. Like, oh, free food. Okay, yeah, we're in, we're in. Sign me up, sign me up. So here's the thing. When you're talking gospel of the kingdom, nobody is going to get saved because of their high-minded spirituality. They're going to have gritty, nasty problems that need to be fixed through kingdom power. But if you bring the power of the kingdom of God down upon them and they experience the reality of God, they will give their lives to Christ and they will stick. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he picked you, that he has chosen you because, very important word, I'm quoting from 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. We know he chose you because our gospel came to you not only in word. What is that one? That's the gospel. But also in power. That's the kingdom. Word and kingdom. That's how you know people have been truly born again into the right thing. 
And because of that, when people are born into that kind of an experience of God, rarely do they fall away because they're like, well, I'm not really sure. Sometimes they get drawn off to sin. Sometimes persecution will make them fall away. Jesus kind of covered this with the parable of the sower. But in general, there's not a question of, was that really real? It's rather something else seduced me. Is that making sense? So the way we bring about the saluoing of these demonic structures is by preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel. And the way the demonic kingdom works, I'm summarizing a whole bunch of teaching. Again, it's probably three sermons worth. But the way the demonic kingdom works, Paul talks about the fact that there are authorities and rulers, dominions and thrones. That's the stack. Well, rulers are like ruling spirits. If you've ever done any one-to-one deliverance, you know sometimes there's a ruling spirit over a cluster of demons. The authorities are the main demons you run into all the time with people. They're the ones that usually infest people, harass them, or whatever they do, they do that. The rulers are like the sergeants who oversee those enlisted men. The dominions are like the mid-level officers in the military, and the thrones are like the generals. When you start taking out all of these authorities, pretty soon it's like playing brick breaker. The the rulers start dropping down. And as you start taking all of that out, pretty soon the dominions are dropping down. And as you keep, keep at it, pretty soon the thrones are dropping down. You know what's happening there. Pretty soon the whole thing, just like in brick breaker, are we all together in where we are with this? This is the way we break down the demonic kingdoms. The prayer is essential. It's what gives us the ability to get to breakthrough to begin with. The analog is what Jesus did on the lake when he was attacked by that spirit called legion, but it's now over the water. It's not up close and personal at bad breath distance. When Jesus gets out of the boat, now he's dealing with that thing face to face, But because of that removal, the whole area breaks open. We get a revival among the Decapolis. That's how it worked. That's why Lachlan's prayer initiative matters. That's why Lachlan's evangelism practice matters. That's why you care here in New York City. Jesus is giving a template. It's just wrapped up in this simple little line, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, but we, you, can shake the powers of the heavens by engaging both in prayer and in what we might call tactical level spiritual warfare, straight line deliverance. If people are caught in pornography or they're caught in alcoholism, they're caught in meth use or they're caught in violence, they're caught in rejection or they're caught in whatever, fill in the blank with whatever your favorite thing is. As that gets delivered, as that gets healed, and pretty soon down it comes there's a book written by a man named uh, Ramsey McMullen came out about 40 years ago so it's not exactly current issue and this is not the sort of book you're going to read from Destiny Image just in case you're wondering but he wrote a book called um, Evangelizing Rome no Christianizing Rome Christianizing Rome. And he went back and he looked at secular sources, not just the Bible. 
And he was looking at what happened as the gospel advanced through the Roman Empire. And there's actually quite a few things that they... Uh, that are out there if you are of that scholarly bent and you like to read that type of literature. Again, this is not stuff you're going to find everywhere, but it's, it's, it's findable. And so he's looking at secular sources from that period where Paul was moving around in what today we call Turkey. He's not only doing that, he's looking at the writings of the church fathers. So this is non-biblical sources, but they're Christian people reporting on what they did. And to summarize an entire book in a sentence or two, uh, Ramsey McMullen says that the reason that the gospel advanced throughout the Roman Empire is because everywhere the Christians went, healing and deliverance followed, and the pagans were convinced that the Christian God was more powerful than theirs, and they abandoned the ancient gods that they had been serving, whether they had names like Zeus or Hera, or they had names like Mithras. It didn't matter who they were. And you know, all of those gods, by the way, are demons. The scripture says all the gods of the nations are demons. Psalm 106, verses 36 and 37. And Paul picks up this idea in his own letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. So when we think about all these various gods that people are talking about and worshiping, these are our dominions and thrones that we are taking on. And the way we cut the ground out from underneath them and make them, the Greek word is saluo, totter and fall, Again, we're back to the gospel of the kingdom with authentic deliverance and authentic healing. That's why I'm excited that you're teaching on deliverance starting in October. Everybody sign up and go. There. That's my free pitch. And no, I wasn't paid to say that. Again, there's a lot more I could say about all this. I'm not going to. I am going to summarize what I've just said by saying this. <clears throat> Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom fulfills the command of Jesus. What was the command of Jesus? Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If you're engaged in kingdom proclamation, if you're engaged in power-centered, signs and wonders evangelism, you are fulfilling this mandate of Matthew 24, 14. Jesus already gave us a model of it out of his own life and ministry. We looked at it in Mark chapter, well, the end of 4 and chapter 5, chapter 6 and chapter 8. I took the time to walk you through all of that so that you would know I'm not just waving my hands. You could see it for yourself on the page. Number two, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom will bring about healing and deliverance, or at least it should. Number three, Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in the manner I've described, it will shake the stoicheia. Now, the stoicheia are actually higher than thrones. These are, these are universal spirits. Paul, the, usually it gets translated into English as the ruling spirits of the universe. So they, they're out there in space somewhere. Maybe the James Webb Space Telescope will photograph one. I'm not sure. But I'm kidding about that. Uh, but anyway, so the stoicheia oversee the thrones, and the thrones oversee the dominions, and the dominions oversee the rulers, and the rulers oversee the authorities. As you take out these ones at the bottom, the whole thing comes down. We already talked about that. So when we talk about shaking the stoicheia, these cosmic spirits, this is power encounter. This is not mental gymnastics. And so often the reason we find evangelism to be difficult in places like New York is there is... There is stuff that is enslaving people's minds. Paul says of the pagans in Romans 1 that their foolish minds are darkened. 
they literally can't see the light. And the only way to break through is to have this kind of encounter in power where the kingdom of God comes and breaks that. I'll tell you a story that illustrates this. Um, not all that long ago, I got a call from a well-known Renewal Stream church. We'll just leave it at that. And uh, the, the leader of that church had taken a team to Israel, and they were touring around seeing the stuff that you commonly might see in Israel. And they had a guy on the, on the tour, and he was, in, I don't remember now, but he was in his early 20s. I, I think he might have been 23 or 4 at the time. And um, when they walked into the garden tomb in Jerusalem, when they walked in, it was like his head exploded, springs were sticking out of his ears, and a cloud of smoke was you know, issuing from the wreckage of his head. This is not literally true. It's meant to be just humorous and metaphorical. But, you know, we always say his head exploded, right? So, and he was, he was so messed up, they didn't know what to do with him, so they, got, they loaded him on a plane and sent him home. He never finished the trip. So I get this phone call, and they're like, yeah, Ken, you know a lot about deliverance. Can you come help us with this guy? We don't know what to do with him. So I went and met with this church. And I sit down with this guy, and he was attending a well-known university here in the northeastern U.S. It wasn't New York City, but it's, it's up this way. So a well-known university, he's attending it. And I ask him, well, you know, what have you been studying anyway? And he says, well, you know, I've been studying uh, uh, human psychology. I'm like, okay. Well, what are you doing with that? He says, well, you know, they're teaching me the kind of basic theories of human psychology. And I said, so like Rogerian therapy and Gestalt and stuff like that. He says, yeah. I said, okay, and what have, you, what have you done with all that? He goes, well, you know, I've been just listening and learning. And I said, but you've probably taken on board the, the mindset, the worldview of secularism and humanism that goes with all of that. And he's like, well, I never thought, 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 thought about that. I'm like, okay, contact, range to target, three meters. <laughs> right? This guy had become demonized by world spirits that had spun out these memes. People say, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked, and I am going to take the time to show you before we land the plane. We're, we're on final approach, and the wheels are down. So make sure your seatbelts are fastened, your tray tables are up. Paul says this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it. What does see to it mean? Be careful. Don't be slack in this. Pay due heed. See to it that no one takes you captive. What is captive? Bondage. Unable to get out. By what? Philosophy. What is philosophy? It's the wisdom of humans, wisdom of men, and empty deceit. What is deceit? Something intended to lead you astray, and there's nothing in it in this case, which are according to human tradition, and watch this, according to the stoicheia, the elemental or ruling spirits of the universe. So all of these philosophies that get spun out, and man, New York City is ground zero for a lot of this stuff. Not only is it taught in the universities, it's spewed out by the media, all of which have major centers right here in New York, don't they? 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the ruling spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Well, there it is. So this guy had come under the influence of the Stoicheia in the form of the philosophies he'd been taught. I'm not saying you can't get an education. I'm saying you have to see to it that you not be taken captive in the education. So we got him free of all that and put the springs back in his head and sent him on his way. He was trying to decide whether he was going to finish that degree or, or you know, alt-control-delete. And he decided in the end to finish the degree with due caution and heed. And he made it out of the program okay, but he did decide in the end he didn't want to study psychology anymore. So he picked a new career. Well, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom shakes the stoicheia. That's my point three in this conclusion. And I just showed, showed you why that's important out of Colossians 2.8. And shaking the stoicheia is power encounter. It's not just mental gymnastics. It's not just my argument against your argument. It's not just my best idea against your best idea. But if you've ever had that kind of conversation with somebody where you just end up all tangled up where they're saying, well, you know, I believe this and you believe that. That's just, that's useless. You need power encounter to break through that stuff. <clears throat> as this, this is point five. As the stoicheia over each people, over each nation, over each city, over each neighborhood in a city are shaken, as that happens, the demonic structure there comes down and world revival advances. Well, therefore proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in the manner that we are talking about. And you need training to do it. Again, great that you're doing it. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom with deliverance and healing hastens the return of Christ because breakthrough happens. All of these demonic entities, wherever they are, whoever they are, they all get wiped out because of the overcoming power of Christ. And we get to participate in that. Deliverance ministry hastens the return of Christ. There you go. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.